You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech, Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have Nini Rail. Uh, she's an associate professor of chemistry at uh, Thomas Jefferson University. We're going to be talking about cold brew coffee and the acidity and anti- antioxidant activity of it and the, the chemistry of coffee. Since I love coffee, and I'm sure listeners do too, it'll be a great, great call. So Nini, thank you for coming. Oh, thank you for having me. So how did you, uh, you probably have a dream job. How did you uh, become a, like, a professor of coffee? Well, it's it's uh, one of those uh, spontaneous, like you know, serendipity moments because I was actually at a chemistry conference, San Diego, and I was, you know, for all conferences before the morning, you know, morning session, you have to get a cup of coffee, and uh, I walked into one of the coffee store and they had cold brew coffee. I've never heard of that before, so of course I have to try it. And then I tried it. I said, okay, this is pretty good. And I looked up exactly how they were made. And uh, I thought, maybe I could do it myself. And one thing led to another. I started working the chemistry behind it. So uh, the information was not available in terms of how to brew a good cup of cold brew coffee. I stumbled on it and I started working on it. And it's so interesting. A lot of tree going up for cold brew coffee. I thought right. I should do it. Well, just for listeners, how do you make cold brew coffee and you know, let's go over maybe lightly what happens chemically, and then we'll go deeper after that. Okay, so cold brew coffee is similar, very similarly brewed as a French press. Um, nowadays on the market, there are a lot of um, apparatus or uh, setup that you can buy, and basically involves um, submerging coffee grind in either cold uh, water in the refrigerator or room temperature water over the counter. The key for cold brew coffee is that it is um, brewed for over 8, 10, 12, sometimes even 48 hours, depend on the the brewer. So it is slow, takes time, and very often a lot of drinkers prefer cold brew coffee because they feel like they have a lower, so that's why and this, for the summertime, it's very people like it. Where does acidity come from, or the perception of it when you're doing coffee? Um, coffee has, you know, for, as a natural product, coffee has a lot of organic acid itself. So when you extract the compounds out of the um uh out of the coffee, and then the acids will be out uh, into the coffee brew. And that is the where the coffee the acidity comes. from. Right. So what uh, what controls the amount of acidity? You know, how do you know if the coffee's gonna be good or it's gonna be like, yeah. You know, like I've had, for instance, you'll, you'll probably be horrified by the story of in college. I had a friend that was really cheap. So uh-huh. he, would, <laughs> he would brew coffee for us. And he would keep the grounds in the coffee maker. 
and then he sprinkle on like a very little bit of a short, you know, an extra layer, and he would brew it again through the same grind. And yeah. man, it was so sour, and it was like, but it was unbelievably caffeinated for some reason. So there are a lot of um, one of the things that controls acidity where you get your coffee from. What kind of coffee are you uh, brewing? So um, I at a higher altitude, the berries, the, the, co- the coffee berry tend to have a higher acidity, it's more fruity, whereas as a, low, a, low, a lower altitude, you tend to have less acid, but more caffeine. So there are, the region of the coffee is important. And the other one is the way that it's brewed. You know, for any coffee drinker, if you drink espresso versus uh, Americano versus a filter coffee, and they all taste different because they are brewed differently. That different brewing technique will extract different amount of um, compounds out of the coffee. So that's another um, indicator where the, the, whether the off coffee is acidic or not. Um, the third one is the temperature. Water temperature plays a part in how much the chemicals extracted from the coffee. The higher the temperature, usually the more stuff that's extracted. So very often you hear people saying, we don't use boiling water, we use a little bit less than boiling. It tastes good. So to some people, that temperature adjustment. So there are a lot of ways. So, they, uh, so the McDonald's coffee that burned that lady years ago, not only was it like ridiculously hot, but it probably tasted gross and it burned her. <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to comment on other people's brewing, but I prefer my coffee brewed um, at just about uh, 200 degrees rather than boiling. So I like my coffee oh, wow. a little bit, you know, um, lower in temperature. So what's your goal? Are you trying to, well, actually, back up and ask a different question. If you have uh, an inferior bean, you're starting with a coffee that, you know, for whatever reason, you deem it not to be very good. Is there any way of rescuing it and making it delicious? Or are you doomed and you, the starting bean is really good, what controls the process? Um, you There are a lot of ways to, to rescue coffee. I'm not an expert on rescuing coffee. I, my, just to tie into your future question, um, my goal is to uh, provide home brewers with information so that they can adjust their coffee brewing at home to suit their taste. So everybody has a very different, the taste itself is very simple. So everybody will, a good cup of coffee to someone might be very, so the the goal is if you understand how the process works, if you understand, we could provide the home brewers with some information about the chemistry in coffee, uh, you know, brewing coffee. Maybe they can tweak tweak their method that they could a cup that is um, tasty to them. So what are some of the factors that really modulate the flavor profile? What have you found? We we never really tested pro- flavor pro- profile, but according to, uh, one of the biggest one is, again, temperature. And the flavor profile is also very distinct from different uh, regions of the other factor that dictates flavor is roast. Lighter roast and darker roast was very different. And again, that is a very subjective aspect of coffee. What do you, what, what, what do you expect your coffee, right? Uh, I like my coffee a little bit more refreshing rather than that nutty, smoky flavor. So I prefer, um, and then of all the medium roasts I've tasted, there's one um, from actually one of my local roasts that is from Mexico, and that is absolutely wonderful. I've tasted other roasts from the same roaster, but this is my favorite. So it's it's very much subjective. So in, like even going back to temperature, have you tried ramping up the temperature through a brew, pulsing it high, low? 
you know, bringing it down a lot near the end. I mean, that, I would think that would modulate things a lot, right? They, they, it will be. And the problem with the, the one of the, the um, modulation um, is going to be very hard because coffee brewing is such a fast process. If you think about it, um, you can do a pour over in a few minutes. And then espresso is literally less than a minute or maybe a minute. So to modulate temperature in that short period of time is a little bit difficult. So very often people try to find a middle ground to control the temperature, um, whether they, and then not to mention the fact that when you brew coffee, because your coffee grind very often is room temperature, your water is hot. When the water hits the grind, the temperature is going to change. So through that, you can modulate the brewing process, but it is very finicky and then not, it's very hard to control. So this is why everybody's coffee will be different. Morning one might taste a little bit different than the evening, and even if you same everything, one day it might be a little bit different. Is it this because is the of why. temperature or because of humidity because too? Like having the ambient humidity? Oh, everything. Humidity will change because you already have moisture being absorbed into the the coffee grind. That that may that may affect um, the the extraction process. There there are um, the and also the humidity might change the the bean flavor before you before you wrote, um, before the grinding. So and we haven't even talked about grinds yet. So so there are a lot of factors that um, a brewer really need to take into consideration. Most people remember, uh, oh, I wanted roast. Roast is a big thing. Everybody understands light, medium, dark. And if you talk to a lot of um, coffee connoisseurs, they start talking about temp- water temperature. And then there's a coffee grind. The size of the grind that matters because surface area matters. And then if you're talking about some, and then uh, I went to one of the seminars about how to brew coffee from a professional barista. And he mentioned how much coffee grind versus how much water. That ratio is also going to affect how much the taste of coffee. So we're just listing the, the, the obvious variables that people have studied. And there are others that, you know, in the literature that home brewers probably never thought of, but people think that might be interesting. So what's your particular area of study? There's so many variables and things you can so, do. Like your- <laughs> Funny you ask. So what I'm focusing uh, on are two things. Number one is um, there are two type of chemicals um, every coffee paper tend to report on. Number one is caffeine. How much caffeine are you getting from the coffee. Number two is um, a type of antioxidant compound called chlorogenic acid. Coffee it has a lot of chlorogenic acid naturally, and it is a beneficial compound in the sense that it is antioxidant. It basically stops um, scavenge free radicals that may be damaging to our health, and um, and that. That is also it's because it's so prevalent in coffee. Every um, a lot of re- research are focusing on how this compound changes through different conditions and the brewing process. So I look at look that I, I focus on that. And then the third one would be the acidity and antioxidant aspect of coffee. We can look at overall antioxidant level in brewed coffee, and that. Because people want drink coffee because they think not only for caffeinated reasons, but they also wanted to um, drink coffee for health benefits because 
coffee has a lot of antioxidants. And we wanted to look into if you start varying some of the variables, what what are how, how do how does these very how do these variables affect the um the antioxidant level in coffee? And then there are other physical attributes, for example, pH and acidity, which we're not really talking about taste, but it can relate to how we perceive um, coffee's taste. So these are the areas that I'm focusing. So um, and also because um, I involve my undergraduate students and these um, attributes are very easily accessible to my undergraduate student in terms of understanding why they wanted to, why, what's going, the chemistry in coffee. What about the things that people add to coffee? Is there anything that people add that really can alter it? You know, the type of milk, um, cinnamon, chocolate, sugar? Any, anything, yeah, absolutely. Anything you add to coffee is going to alter the the, the, the chemistry. Um, I didn't, I haven't spent a lot of um, research on the additives, but from general re- uh, literature, anything you add will basically change the, the taste because things will react, things will, especially in hot coffee, and then other chemicals, introducing other chemicals will also maybe enhance the flavor or maybe allow you to taste things differently. So, the, for example, the, the, the lipids, the fat in the cream will allow you to taste different, maybe different aspect of coffee that you may not taste as a black coffee. Okay, hey guys. Um, have you guys tried to make like a very unusual coffee in the lab? You know, a super antioxidant one or one that has like very unusual taste or properties by experimentation? Um, no, we, I, I, I'm not. I'm such a purist when it comes to coffee. Um, I try not to deviate from the tradition, the traditional way of brewing it. The most we would do is we may roast the beans to very dark and then brew a regular cup of coffee and see what it's like. So we haven't created anything new yet. We're just trying to benchmark and analyze the existing coffee that we can brew in the lab. Well, why not? If you do something that's very unusual, then you can put your name on it. Mini you know, <laughs> Rail and uh, and sell it and like subsidize your research. I think you should uh, go to the extremes and make all kinds oh, of cool stuff. Oh, I know, I, I, I know, I know, and and I just feel, I personally, I feel that there's so so much that we don't know, and I always feel like I should understand everything first before I move to the next thing. So I'm still trying to go down the rabbit hole about what is going on in just simple cup of coffee and there's so many things that we don't understand i think you should uh you should open up your own coffee lab with beakers <laughs> that you serve the coffee in and again it has your special like scientific recipes or Oh. Like <laughs> I I mean it doesn't take a lot take much for me to get some beakers to to drink coffee. I think I do have a, a mug that is made out of beaker, which is one of my favorite mugs. Oh well, for customers you could have a big pipette or uh, you know, like one of those um titrating vessels and you can titrate the milk in and Oh yeah, it, it would it would be very very fun and and I I this is a wonderful thing I might do that in my lab. There you go. So back to um, your research. So what surprising or interesting things are you seeing just in your you know your run of the mill like cold brew? Um, one of the things we saw that we thought that was quite interesting is that um, the pH between hot and cold 
to be honest, they are about the same. To the, I mean, what I when when we say that is we, you know, we have this perception of cold brewed is slightly um, less acidic than hard brew. If we look at the pH values, which is the the uh, indicator for acidity, a, a common indicator for acidity, we find that our hot brew coffee and cold brew coffee tend to have values that are within within each range. Um, what I mean by that is, you know, yes, there's variation. We're talking about maybe um, 5.1 versus um, 5.05. So the question is, can we consumers taste the difference? Um, probably not, but maybe this small difference will affect our body, but we're, we're not tasting it. So these are some of the things we found that's interesting. Um, the other one that we found that's in interesting is that hopper coffee actually has more antioxidant than cold brew coffee. So one, one quick question on the on the pH, like why not? have people drink, you know, coffees of different pHs and then test their blood for, you know, levels of caffeine or something, you know, an hour later and see if that affects so, the so, caffeine. Or so, um, if the pH is not pop up, it's probably not going to affect the absorption of um, caffeine. What the pH level would affect is how stomach one of one of the the um, how 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 your digestive system react. Um, a lot of patients with um, GI tract disorders or like acid reflux are recommended to drink cold brew coffee. Um, there's just not enough study to say that cold brew coffee actually is better than hot brew coffee for those who have acid. And we are only reporting some of the initial studies we've done on pH and total acidity, hoping this will spark further studies from the medical community to investigate the effect of cold brew coffee on those who have acid reflux or other kind of uh, GI tract uh, disorder. Well, the thing is the body wants to be in a neutral pH. The less burden it has by drinking a low pH coffee, the easier it would be to digest. That's just an assumption. Um, yes, and, um, and the, 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 everybody's body... Um, kind of works a little bit differently. And uh, also the um, your stomach is actually a very acidic environment. And in it but there is really no um and then a lot there, there are some studies that said that coffee will trigger heartburns and whatnot, but it just very inconclusive. So we hope that our study can provide some more info utilized to even more extensive research on um, this topic. So what other, so, all right, the pH doesn't differ very much from hot or cold brew. I don't know, uh, are there other kinds of coffee, like Turkish coffee or other ways of brewing that really create a very, very different type of coffee? Um, yeah, uh, there are different, different uh, brewing methods would definitely create different, uh, different, um, co different type of coffee. Our study focused on French press method, which is the closest to cold brew method. Again, it involves coffee grind being submerged in water. Um, for cold brew, for cold brew, we're talking about seven, ten, twenty-four hours. For hot brew, we're talking about six minutes tops. And we are we are using we're we're doing everything to the extent. So we are brewing the for the hot brew coffee. We are brewing the hot the the coffee a little bit longer than normal, and we're using boiling water. 
not everybody does uh, uh, would do that, but we thought this will guarantee we get everything out of the coffee grind as much as possible in the brew setting. So, uh, and that that's when we discovered that if you use the hot method, you actually will get a little bit more antioxidant out of the coffee than the cold brew method. Is there a trade-off? Is there anything you don't get or you get too much of by doing that? Um, yes, there is a trade-off. I know one of the things um, we we saw from even the earlier paper is that when you are doing cold brew, and because you are ex- exposing the coffee grind to water for a long period of time, you get a little bit more caffeine, uh, especially for um, if you use a larger like grind, like coarse grind, and you actually do get a little bit more um, caffeine out of it. So that's great. And the other thing um, people have reported, and we are in the process of coming this, is the um, some the cobra coffee tend to have less bitter taste. So there are a lot of compounds that contribute to the bitter taste, and we're hoping to look into exactly a couple of them and have a see on what whether the cobra coffee really has less bitter compounds or hotter. Well, from what I've heard, I mean, coffee seems to vary very you know, big time in the amount of caffeine it has and even decaf too. Did oh, you yes. observe that? Yes, we did. Um, there depend on the region, we have very different um, caffeine concentration. And uh, to, um, so, so we, we did one of our um, early studies from, we used Kona coffee. And then from dark and cold, we found that the caffeine concentration actually varied a little bit. And uh, for our, Last co- uh, um, study, we didn't really focus on caffeine concentration. We only did, um, did antioxidant activities, and then from region to region, it varies. So regionality actually do show up in the chemistry profiling of coffee. So why would, for instance, decaf, you know, from what I've read, it can vary tremendously on the amount of caffeine. Why would that be the case? Why wouldn't that process, like, strip it all out or 99% of it out? Um. It, it, it depends on the process itself, and it also depends on where the bean's from. And uh, if if you come to source a bean that is extremely um, high in caffeine content, and then the process may not be effective. And uh, I am not familiar with the decaf process, so I don't want to comment too much on it, but I would imagine that having, I mean, it just depends on the operation itself and then who's doing it, and it's going to vary. Okay. Is there a is there a world record of like the most caffeinated bean out there? That you know um, I I don't know anything that is naturally occurring, um, but I do know there are some uh, beans who have been processed, and then there um, that has quite a bit of caffeine, and the brand name escaped me, and I want to say that. It's from New York, the company's from New York, and uh, let me see if I can find. Um, I, I honestly, I, it's somehow okay. that name, yeah, the name escaped me. So I, if I could think of it, and I think one of them is called Dash, Death Wish, and then and there's another <laughs> one um, that I, I, the one that's not the one I was thinking, and then but but they are. Um, it's called uh, depleted adrenal glands, adrenal killer. <laughs> But but yeah, so that's um that's one of the this coffee that has very high caffeine content. I haven't tested yet. I just know that um they yeah. they they I've heard the brand name and then they they boast uh, the fact that, that the coffee is potent. All right. Any um 
any other interesting curiosities in the coffee world that you run into? Um, so I, well, I, I, as I said, I'm a traditionalist and I tend to go to the more of a mainstream type of coffee. But um, so I, there are certain regions of coffee that I didn't, I wasn't aware of. So start when, after I started my coffee research, um, friends from overseas would tell me, oh, we grow coffee um, in different regions. And one of them that shocked me was Taiwan. Uh, one of my uh, my friend who um, lives in Taiwan posted quite a few articles about how Taiwan's coffee industry is bloom, uh, is booming and uh, it's it's really interesting because that's not a region that you associate with coffee, but yet they're growing coffee. It's in it's it's within the the climate of growing coffee. It's just not a big uh, coffee growing region, and I just thought it's so interesting that. Uh, Taiwan is um, has a very vibrant uh, coffee scene and coffee um, growing um, okay. activity. What uh, what what makes a really good coffee versus like a disgusting one? Um, you know, I don't. And all all I know from um, all the conversations I've had with um, friends and colleagues is coffee is very subjective. What you hmm. love is what you love. And if it deviates from what you love, and you may not like it. Um, there are coffee I've tasted that people told me, oh, it's the best coffee in the world. And I kind of like, yes, it's nice, um, but it's not my type of coffee. Whereas my coffee to me is great. When I give it to other people, they were like, eh. So it's, I, I, there is no, I personally don't think there's a universal standard in terms of uh, coffee. But um, I would say just talk to people and see what they like and then experiment and then try things. Maybe you discover something that you never thought before to, to try before. But um, it, it is very hard to pin down, like, what is the best coffee? Okay. Yeah. No, I was just curious if there's, like, a, a standard or if you can correlate. You know, at least if most people seem to like this coffee and most people seem to hate this other one. What's the difference there? Maybe you'd be able to do an experiment. Um, the, there are um, a, human, a human subject is very hard to, uh, to but um, there are some standards in terms of extraction. There are some standards in terms of like the standard of beans, like the size of the beans. When growers um, um, sort the beans out, there are standards for defective beans and whatnot. And there are some studies um, out there in the scientific community about how to use these um, beans that might be defective, whether it's a size or it's a color or um, for whatever reason, and then maybe make something out of it. So um, there, there are standards, and uh, it, um, very often consumers have a different standard than everybody else. What about uh, microbes? You know, I heard of this coffee mold. Is there molds or fungi or yeast or bacteria that you know are commensal with coffee? And do those influence the brewing? And have you studied? Is anyone studying that? Um, not to my knowledge. There are some concerns about coffee brewing, especially in the cold brew community. Um, there are some studies. That, the, so the one of the studies from that um I came across tested the survivability of various um microbes in coffee. And we're talking about cold brew coffee. Hot brew coffee is not as um, concerning because the high temperature tend to pretty much sterilize it. Whereas Cobra coffee, you are talking about low temperature, moisture, and it is possible that um, microbes can grow in coffee. So 
based on that particular study, I believe they tested common ones like E. coli uh, and um, what is a salmonella and some others, and they are not oh, very. E. coli. Yeah, yeah, E. coli, um, a bacteria, and then these the the cobra coffee were doesn't it's not a very friendly environment to um for for microbes at least for bacteria um but that i don't think i came across in mold studies yet i also didn't look too closely in the mold we were looking to more thinking about more of a microbial um bacteria situation okay yeah you know i've had like stale coffee or coffee that's gone stale so i just again i wonder like What's happening? What's oxidizing over time? So, uh, so I guess there's so many things. There are so many things that's being oxidant, uh, oxidized over time. Um, one of them could be um, chlorogenic acids. Um, they are abundant, but they are very easily oxidized. So through with exposure to air, it can lose um, its potency or just ox re uh, being oxidized in something else. Um, the other chemicals, some of the um, you know volatile compounds that comprise that basically make up the smell of coffee as you expose to air for a longer period of time obviously they're volatile so they will escape into the air so it's the coffee does smell or taste as good because the flavors are gone um yeah. so so all these so that's why um you should really store coffee in the freezer and um because it minimizes mm. the escape the the volatile compound escaping from the you know from from the the coffee and um so and then also okay. it lasts a little bit longer and uh, there was actually another study in that basically um did a study on how you should grind your and the study found that if you freeze your beans the coffee grind becomes a little bit more uniform and then you know it's a, it's oh. better for brewing uh, brewing coffee so that was a that was a the fraction yeah. like more similar size yeah. pieces. Yes. So the the more uniform the the grind, the again the better the coffee is going to be because um huh. extraction it, it controls the the, uh, the extraction rate. So if everything has the same surface area, everything's going to come out about the same time. So you don't have grinds that being soaked for too long or not not long enough. So there's there's that aspect of coffee brewing as well. And then there, there, there it's just so many. It's mind-boggling that how many variables control the quality of coffee. No, like in the in this one coffee place I go to, I swear to God, depending on the barista, the coffee is either going to be good or bad. It's the same everything, but some of them just make it awful. And this one guy is my favorite. He always makes it great, and yeah, I can see like the order of what they do. Like they'll pull a shot, absolutely, and they'll put it in the cup first, and then ice on it, or. You know, the shot and milk together, and then the ice lasts on top, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's weird. I, I don't know what the guy does. I've asked him, and he he just makes it great every time. It's I don't know, and it's funny. Like barista <laughs> is in a bad mood, they take it out in your coffee, and it comes out bad. And I don't know what's happening there either. It's like crazy it's, number of variables. I I don't know. I I don't have an answer to that, but I could attest to that because my husband and I make the same coffee. His mm -hmm. coffee came out to be much better than mine. So I usually just, you know, I guess spoiled. I'd have, uh, you know, a barista at home to make coffee for me. And I, I enjoy every bit of it. But if he's in a bad mood, I bet you his coffee is not as good for some reason. You can tell um, something's wrong with him. Right? Well, in my case, he's always in a good mood. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, oh, you must be a good wife. That's great. You know, it's, it's funny. You know, my wife does. She makes me like this special coffee drink with all this stuff in it. 
and she'll make it for me and she'll give it to me and watch me and I'll drink it. And sometimes I'm like, what, what did you do? And she goes, what, what is it? What is it? And, you know, and eventually she'll say, oh, well, I ran out of this or, oh, uh, I, I had to do that. You know, like, and I said, why don't you tell me? I always can tell. And she just, I think she likes to like test me and sometimes make it different to see what I'll do. You know? It is very, like, we, we know our coffee. Like there any, yeah. I, I can, I can taste when, when he, you know, sometimes he ran out of one bean and then mm-hmm. we have a different bag of beans and then he'll use that. And then he'll use a mix between um the two beans and I couldn't taste that. I was, and I was asking, I was like, did you run out, did you run out the first beans? And he was like, yeah, I only have the other one around. So I mixed them. I was like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't taste right, but it's, it, it's a good coffee. It just, I could taste it different. So we so he does the same thing to you. He doesn't tell you and he waits for you to taste it. It's, it's never really like, he didn't tell me. He just made me coffee, and I took a sip, and I turned around to him. Uh, and says, did you did you do this? And he was like, "Yeah," but he's not trying to hide it from me because he knows, like, okay. I'll, I'll I'll be able to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I think a similar dynamic is going on. It goes yeah. on in millions of households every day. I'm sure. <laughs> well, very cool. So, what's the what's the future of your work? Like, what would be uh, an exciting result for you to have in the next year or two? Um, we hope to um look more in like we we wanted to so the last couple um project we worked on was more of a preliminary study almost because we were the first few um research groups that focused on cold brew coffee and because we weren't I mean I wasn't I, we we didn't realize how complex the process is and mm. there are studies that the experiments we did it came out great but i think we wanted to control our experiment even more and then do a little bit more in-depth study on other chemicals in coffee that, that what's the, for example the flavor compound we wanted to test some of the smaller flavor compounds in coffee compare that compare the cold and hot brew methods see if there's mm. um difference in the flavor compounds. And then we also wanted to see if there are any other factors that we can control or we can focus on that can give us more insight on how can we brew a better cup of coffee. Or at least how how can we control our coffee brew so that, you know, yeah. we could tweak it to our liking. So we could, we're looking into like how um Obviously, origins of beans, right? Because that's that's a right. big deal. Um, we could look at, look into how the beans were processed, um, how they're being grown. The, all these things are going to affect the final product. So the mm. and then how how they are brewed. That's cold versus hot. And then if we change the way that the beans are soaked in water, if we have like additional support, like some of the um, the cold brew setup, con- it's almost like um, you know brewing tea. They have a little container in the middle, and then you put grinds in the middle, and then suspend the container, the the sieve in right. water. Yep. So how would that um, type of setup differ um, from a regular mason jar, coffee grind water, and then you know soak for a while? How what's oh. the difference? You know, we we don't know. We 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 wanted to understand it, and then there is another um, brewing method. I believe um, some groups already looking into that, but I also wanted to see what are some of the like you know look into more about um, this t- particular type of cold brew. So it's a drip method. So you drip cold cold water onto a bed of coffee grind. 
and then the water. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. You've it's seen that huge. with like a beautiful um, glass, um, you know, setup. It, it, yes, it's gorgeous. And then, um, so how would this process differ from um, a regular, again, mason jar method, right? So all oh. these little things, Nicole, there's a lot of way, creative ways and people are coming up to enjoy coffee. And uh, as these methods come up, a lot of consumers want to do them at home. And if I could give them some information to base uh, to, to to you know use, maybe they can um, refine their home brewing and then be able to enjoy um, these um, new creations at home. And that's my ultimate right. goal. Okay, that's very cool. So, are there any um, coffee organizations or like coffee summits or conferences or you know, for people listening, they won't get this far unless they really love coffee. But, uh-huh. So we're assuming they do. You know, like me and you, but uh, right. Like, what, how, how can they find out more? How can they more get into more of the world of coffee and learn about all the intricacies and stuff? Um, there are some websites that's out there um, that deals with coffee, and um, I'm I'm blanking a lot of it just because um, I wasn't going to uh, I wasn't expecting this question to be completely honest. That's okay. Um, yeah. There's a national coffee. Um, there's a, there are a couple international coffee organizations. Um, but have you seen coffee is big enough of a deal that there's conferences on it? Oh yeah, like there are, there are definitely because uh, yeah, there's a conference, there's the international coffee show. Um, there oh, is really? cool. yeah, okay. global. Uh, there's internet. Um, there's actually a international coffee organization, and uh, sure. <laughs> and and you can go online and then and they have um expos in in September in Tokyo. They have um. Ooh all kinds of coffee um costa rica they have another event and then brazil and there's all over the place thailand so so there are um there are a lot of information you can find out about coffee and um and, and it's really readily available a lot of people are blogging about coffee and a lot of mm-hmm. um and and one of the one um local ones for those uh, listening in the states there's a specialty coffee expo and that is going to happen in Portland, Oregon in April of oh, 2020. Cool. Yeah. Do you know That's what's going on? Okay. Yeah, cool. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Okay. And, and Nini, what's the best way for people to find out more about you and your lab? And, you know, um, well, um, they can reach me on um, Twitter. I do have a Twitter account and uh, I don't use it often. <laughs> so um, my Twitter handle, it shows just my name and okay. at Nini Rauch. And I and Y, yes. And um, so people could reach me that way. And uh, we periodically, um, I don't have, because we're going through a transition right now and my website is not up. So hopefully in the next um, couple months or so, I will actually have my lab website up to provide people with uh, updates about the lab research I'm doing. But everybody's welcome to email me. Um, my email would be nini.rao at jefferson.edu. All right. And well, uh, yeah, yeah. So, so shoot me an email if you have questions. I'll do my best to answer. Um, I'm definitely not a expert in coffee. I'm just starting. I just started this project a couple years ago. I'm so fortunate mm-hmm. that um, I have friends and colleagues so being so supportive. And then, um, and then also a lot of consumers who love coffee. And then um, when I go to conference and we have this wonderful conversation about what they like, what 
you know, what they want to know about coffee. It inspires me to like trying to do more and then study, uh, understand more about coffee. Very good. So, Nini, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.